Chapter Twelve of the Lady of the North Star by Otwell Binns. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A dastardly deed. How, as Corporal Roger Bracknell opened his eyes, this characteristic Indian greeting broke on his ears, and he stirred uneasily. Slowly, the full consciousness of things came back to him, and with it the sense of intolerable pain in one of his legs. He raised his head to look at the leg and stretched a hand towards it at the same time. Another hand intervened hastily. No, not that. You damage the leg if you touch. It very bad. The corporal turned his eyes. The two men were standing near the bale of skins on which he was lying, one of them of pure Indian blood, and the second who had uttered the warning, manifestly a half-breed. Behind them in the darkness of the tepee was a third man, also an Indian. He addressed himself to the half-breed. "'How did I come here?' "'Lagoon and Kamen, they find you on the trail. A tree have fallen and crack your leg like the shell of an egg. You not able to move, so that if they not come soon, you dead mans along of the cold which frees the blood.' They bring you here, and I set the leg, so that it grow together again. That is all. Corporal Bracknell looked towards the two Indians. I am very grateful to you, Lagoon and Kamen, and I shall not forget, he said. I shall report good of them at the post. But where am I? At the winter camp of my people, was the reply. Of your people? Who are you, then? I am Chief Louis of the Elkhorn tribe. You hear of me, maybe? Yes, answered the corporal quickly. Who is there that has not? He looked with interest on the man, who was the son of a French-Canadian and an Indian mother, and who, throwing in his lot with his mother's people, had risen to the headship of the tribe. And while he looked at him, the chief spoke again. It is not good to walk alone in the north without dogs and sled, as Lagoon and Cannon find you. It is very bad, laughed the policeman weakly. Part of my dogs were stolen from me, and the others died. That is very bad, was the reply. Lagoon and Cannon, they find the sled and dead wolves, many of them. They have been poisoned. How befell it so? The corporal explained, carefully avoiding any reference to his cousin and the latter's Indian companion and when he had finished, the chief nodded approbation. That was clever to poison the wolves, for they have hunger madness at this time, the moose being scarce in the woods. For a little time Bracknell did not speak. Then he glanced down towards his leg and asked, Is it very bad? It will knit together like the ice on the river, was the reply, and you will not be lame mans. No, but two months will pass before you take the trail again. Two months? The ice will be breaking up by then. We, oui, that is so, but what matter? Time is long in the north, and we can talk together. Where did the trail lead for you, monsieur? I was making for North Star Lodge in the first instance. There, I hope to get dogs to take me to the police post. Chief Louis did not speak for a little time. He lit an Indian pipe, made of some soft stone with a hollowed twig for stem, pulled thoughtfully at it a few times, blowing out clouds of acrid smoke 
Then he said slowly, "'You were going to North Star? You ever know Missy Gargrave's father?' "'No,' answered the policeman. "'He was dead before I came so far north. I understand that he was caught in the ice in the Yukon and lost. The bottom dropped out of the trail or something.' "'Him die, we,' was the brief reply. Something in the other's tone caught the policeman's attention. He looked at him quickly. The half-breed's face was like that of a wooden image, but there was a glitter in the eyes that betrayed an excitement which the mask-like visage concealed. "'Ah,' he commented, "'you know how Roth Gargrave died?' "'I not say so, but I think and think, and I think it was not good the way Gargrave die. No.' Bracknell waited, but the half-breed did not continue, and after a little time he said quietly, "'Tell me. Not now. It is the hour of the evening meal, and the tale will keep. I tell you another time.' He knocked the ashes from his pipe, nodded gravely at the officer, and passed out of the teepee, leaving Bracknell the prey of a great curiosity. What on earth was the tale which the half-breed had to tell about Rolf Gargrave's death. He recalled the little that he had heard about the disappearance of the Northland millionaire, and could remember nothing which indicated that his death had been due to anything but an accident. As he remembered the story, the river ice on which Mr. Gargrave and his party of four Indians had been traveling had suddenly turned rotten. In Northland phrase, the bottom had dropped out of the trail and the whole party had been drowned, with a single exception. The exception was one of the Indians, who had managed to crawl out, and later in the day reached an Indian lodge there, after telling the story of the disaster, to die of cold and exhaustion. Mr. Gargrave's death had been a tragedy, but such tragedies were not uncommon in the North, and the police, hearing of the event months afterwards, had seen no reason for investigation. Every spring brought similar stories with it, and would, so long as men persisted in keeping to the ice trails, when once the spring thaw has set in. But Chief Louis' vague hints had perplexed Roger Bracknell, and awakened formless suspicions in his mind. Suppose that the death of Joy's father had not been an accident. Suppose... He broke off his conjectures. It was no use indulging in idle speculation when a short time would probably dispose of any need for them. He gave his mind to the consideration of his own position. As he recognized, his escape from death had been a very narrow one, and though he would have to remain where he was, probably for many weeks, he counted himself fortunate. Chief Louis held the mounted police in esteem, and would look after him well and though the delay would probably mean that his cousin Dick would escape, he could not find it in his heart to regret that overmuch. The Indian, Joe, was another matter. He was convinced that by poisoning his dog food, the Indian had deliberately planned his death, and as he thought of the means employed, a hot wrath burned within him. It was so cruel, so treacherous, and he vowed to himself that one day he would make the Indian pay for it. His thoughts wandered further to Joy Gargrave. She would be in England, or well on her way there. 
and wondering how his quest had sped. He was now in a position to fulfill his promise to her. But he doubted whether such news as he had to send her would be any comfort to her. For the news that Dick Bracknell was alive and making for the fastness of the northern wilderness could hardly be good news for her, who had been so bitterly deceived. It was the next day when Chief Louise unfolded the mystery of Rolf Gargrave's death. Seating himself by the corporal's side, he puffed slowly at his pipe for some time, and the officer watched him, wondering what was in his mind and when he would speak. Suddenly, the half-breed leaned forward and said abruptly, Sabotum never drop out of the trail under Rolf Gargrave. No. The corporal's voice was eager and his manner alert. It was blown out. Blown out? What on earth do you mean, Louis? Listen, and I will the tale unfold. Three winters back, no four, there come to my teepee a white man who was not used to the ways of the North. With him was another man who had the coughing sickness and who need the squaws to nurse him. He die very shortly, six days after he come, and we give him tree burial, and the next day the other white man he comes to me. He want two men to go on trail with him to the north, and he pay with blankets, two rifles of the best, much cartridges, and many sticks of tobacco. He very anxious, and I ask him what for he go north before the spring it have arrived and he say he go to find a man. What man, I ask? And he says Rolf Gargrave, whom he would talk with on business of importance. Then I understand, I think. Gargrave, he is a man of many affairs, and this man, who know not the way of the North, have come so far to talk of gold and the like. And I agree, and send two men of the tribe with him to find Gargrave of the North Star. They be good men, who know the ways of the trail as none other. But they are gone a very long time, and the wild geese have gone to their breeding grounds in the far north, and the river is free from ice when they return. I question them, and it is a strange tale they tell. For many days they travel with the stranger man, whose name I know not, and they are on the trail of Gargrave all the time. They hear word of him, now here, now there, and it is a long trail they follow, but at the last they come up with him. They have word that he is but one camp ahead of them, and they push the dogs, and soon they pass Gargrave's camp. Pass it? cried the corporal in astonishment. We, oui, they pass the camp which is Gargrave's, and with the darkness falling, they push on five, six miles, and there, pitch camp, and the stranger man, he says, wait for Gargrave there. It begins to snow, and there is wind, and they crouch by the fire, and sleep. One hour, two hours, three, I know not. Then Paslik and Cebu, they wake suddenly, and there is the roll of thunder in their ears. They listen in wonder, and again they hear it. A crash, like that among the hills, when the sun scorches the grass, and the earth is shakes and tremble. They look about. The white man's sleeping bag is empty, and he is not there. They wait a long time. The thunder sound no more, 
but the snow still fall, and presently the stranger man he return. He have on the snowshoes, and he have been on a journey. He tells Pasuk and Cebu that he not sleep, that he have been for a little walk to help him. But he is very tired, and there is a strange look on his face, and Pasuk he whispered to Cebu that the stranger man have been a long journey. The snow is still falling, and they all sleep till dawn. All next day in the camp they wait for the coming of Gargrave, but he come not, and Paslik he see that after a time the man looks not towards the river trail, and that there is a pleased look on his face, a look of one who has his desire given unto him. The next morning they strike camp, and the stranger man, he says, they go back and look for Gargrave. To Paslik and Cebu, the way of the white man is foolishness, but they go back, and three miles down the trail they find the ice have been broken in. It have frozen over again, and the snow above have melt and frozen in with the ice, and it is rotten. Also, there are great chunks of ice thrown far out over the snow, which is a strange thing. They cross the broken trail with care, and at the far side they come on the tracks of two sleds that have moved in the direction of the rotten ice. The stranger man, he looks at these, and then he looks back at the broken trail, and then he whistles cheerfully all to himself. Paslik, he look, and he reads the signs, and he whispers, that the sleds have gone in, the sleds and the man, and then they go forward till they reach the camp of Gargrave that they pass on the way. He is not there, the camp is removed, and the ashes of the fire are cold. The white man, he looks, and he laugh, but it was the laugh of a man who is not disappointed, you understand? We have missed him, he say, we return to Dawson. So Paslik and Cebu, they go to Dawson with him, and there they hear that Gargrave is lost because of the bottom dropping from the trail and casting him in the river. One man, he have crawled out, he tell the tale and die, and Paslik and Cebu say nothing. And the stranger man, he gives them his dogs and sled and stores and leave Dawson. Presently when the river is open, they come back and whisper to me the tale of their wanderings, and I say the trail it not fall in, but is blown out. The half-breed broke off, and lighting his pipe, puffed at it stolidly, staring into the fire. For a full half-minute the corporal did not speak. The implications of the other story were very clear to him, but they seemed incredible. But what makes you so sure, he asks at last. Chief Louis rose from his seat, and without speaking, passed from the teepee. A few minutes later he returned, bringing with him a wooden box with a hinged lid. He opened it and held it towards the corporal, who looked in curiously. Inside, half wrapped in cotton wool, were four cakes of some reddish-brown material, and when the corporal's eyes fell on them, he gave vent to a sudden exclamation. Ah! You know what that is? You have before it seen? Yes, answered Bracknell quickly. It is dynamite. How did you come by it? 
the stranger man he leaves it in the stores that he gives Peslik and Cebu. He forget it, or he think they get meddling with it and blow themselves to hell. But they bring it back, and I know it, and I keep it, and remembering the winter thunder which Peslik and Cebu they hear in their sleep, I say, the trail it was blown up and not fall in. Behold, Pasek and Cebu, with the stranger man, go all the way to Dawson, and the trail is good. Upon my word, Louis, I believe you are right. There is no question. It is so sure as the rising of the sun. A dark thought shot in the corporal's mind. Four winters ago this had happened, and in that year Dick Bracknell, who had trapped Joy Gargrave into marriage, had fled from England. Rolf Gargrave's death might be conceived to serve the interests of his son-in-law, and Rolf Gargrave had been murdered. Louis asked abruptly, what sort of man was he whom Pasek and Cebu served? He was tall, with full beard and dark eyes. His voice was of the English and not of the American, for he talked not through the nose. The description was not very illuminating, and the policeman almost groaned. His hair, did you mark the color? It was like the bear, what you call brown, it's the brown of the woodnuts in autumn. Brown? Dick Bracknell's was brown, but then so was the hair of half the Anglo-Saxon race. As his mind clutched at this fact, seeking escape from the awful thought which was taking possession of it, he frowned. You know the man? asked the half-breed. No, he cried violently, no. All the same, said Chief Louise stolidly, that man, he blows up the trail. And from that conclusion, at any rate, Roger Bracknell could find no escape. End of chapter 12